Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. So here's what I do usually when I walk into a house, for instance, and this is this is some good information. I'll walk in as a designer there. Oh, we're gonna blow this out and do this. It's like, all right, well, let's explore this real quick. So what I typically do is say, hey, is there a basement down below? If they say yes, great. I go down below and see, is there a wall or a post underneath where that wall is? So I figure out where the wall is upstairs. Mm-hmm. I go down below and figure out where that is. And if it's an unfinished basement, it's so easy because you can see if there's anything that's carrying that load. If it's just normal floor joists and there's not a beam or a post there, that's a good sign. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. This is where we talk home improvement every single week. Thanks for joining us. We got a great show ahead. Hello, Caroline. How's it on the other side of the country today? Hello, everybody. How are you? So much going on. Oh, man. This is going to be a great episode, and we've even got one following this that's going to be absolutely amazing where we're taking it outside. But today, let's talk about, in this least first couple of segments, toxic wood. I, <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> I actually learned something in this episode. I did not know this. And I mean, I sort of knew it. I think in the back of your mind, you know that woods can be very aromatic. And we're talking about all kinds of lumber mm-hmm. and the types of lumber that you use. But I didn't really think to this extent that we you would have to be this careful when you were cutting lumber or storing it or whatnot. You know, I've been a woodworker over the years, not like had the huge full wood shop, but working in cabinet shops and stuff as on the mm-hmm. design side of things, there are some woods that you just don't use because it can be a problem and some of it can make you pretty sick. It's just the same with like auto body. If you've got an auto body person that's working in an auto body shop, you can become sensitized to those auto body chemicals. So maybe you're doing all of a sudden one day you can be allergic to lacquer thinner, which is what you Mm. clean Mm. a lot of stuff with. And then you're kind of out of work. So it's Mm -hmm. one of those things. If you didn't wear your respirator over the years, many times, boom, there's one day you wake up and you're sick and you can't get anywhere near it. Do you know that I dated someone who actually became allergic to the pizza dough flour? Whoa. So their father was owned pizzerias and he had worked in a pizzeria his whole life. And then halfway through uh, working there, he developed this, I guess, an allergy to the flour. You know how you throw the pizzas around and he couldn't be around it anymore. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Same thing. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And now we've got the same thing with wood, but wood's these aromatics that they put off or VOCs, yeah, volatile organic compounds can be highly toxic. So let's kind of dive into the types of wood and the ones that we should stay away from. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny 
you know, wood can be interesting when you're making sawdust, right? And it's depending on, you know, how your body is sensitized to this stuff. So if you think about wood, you've got different ways of working with it. Maybe you've got something that's very raw, that's not dry. So maybe it's a tree that you cut in your backyard and you're going to, you know, get a, a mm. mill and cut it up into pieces and dry it out. Many times that un, you know, cured or undried, like kiln dried wood is going to be more likely to be to cause a sensitive area with you than not. Because many times uh, you can have like between the bark and the wood, there can be, you know, things in there that are allergens that can get you sensitized to that. So that's some of the things you got to start out with that could be very problematic, you know, and that kills me when they're, when you're out and they're cutting up trees and they throw it into the chipper and they start throwing that air, all that stuff in the air as they chip that fresh wood. Oh my God. My eyes start watering. I feel like it's in my throat. I feel like I've got some kind of asthma. Well, you think about it, you know, excessive exposure to certain kinds of wood dust, you know, that's sawdust can cause ailments, you know, like bronchial asthma, you know, a consistent runny nose, um, you know, a hypersensitivity type to pneumonia Mm -hmm. and uh, ODTS, which is organic dust toxic syndrome, bronchitis, allergic dermatitis. So there's a lot of things, including which is on the very extreme. This is not all the time. You know, if you're working with it every day, you can get things like nasal cancers are rare, but they can occur, uh, especially if you're working all the time in a, you know, like a wood shop where you're working in a furniture shop or or a cabinet shop, you know, maybe not so much as a hobbyist, but if you're a professional, mm. it absolutely can. And um, some of the woods like beech and oak can cause that. And those are common woods. And- Common. Those are very common. There was one that you had on the list, which I found fascinating, which was like really toxic. You were familiar with it. And you said, oh, this is something you don't want to work with. Yeah, let's go down this list and um, and talk about this. And one thing we were talking about earlier here, just to, to pay attention to, is the microorganisms in bark. And there's funguses and stuff that are in there that can be the problem, too. So if you're doing a woodworking project and you've got maybe that raw edge on the outside that has the bark on it, that's, again, one of those things that you got to be careful with. But here's kind of one general rule before we dive into name by name on this. Subtropical and tropical woods typically have the more, you know, they have the biggest reaction out of people. So, Mm -hmm. like, even western red cedar, sequoia, redwood, cocobolo, you know, woods like that, are the most likely to cause problems where woods from temperate climates are much less extreme. So, you know, like large walnut, oak, beech, yew, and pine have a a less of a reaction. Because pine is so aromatic. Like we know when we test Mm -hmm. air quality, apinine, which is a volatile organic that comes off pine, we can tell when people have done remodeling and things like that because they'll have a lot of it in the air. Yeah. So these things have these VOCs, but like redwood throws me because I love redwood. I mean, I think, and it seems to me like I always thought of that as being like a non sort of toxic, very aromatically benign wood. Well, no, but, here it's on the list. Think about this. Redwood is used and Western red cedar is used for fences and decks, right? It's because yeah. bugs don't eat it. So there's something in so, redwood too. You see what I mean? That's yeah. if the bugs don't eat it. And guess what? Maybe there's a reason we <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't be eating it too. Because if it's <laughs> if they're going, hey, we're not touching that stuff. 
hmm, maybe that's the issue, I've often, right? I've often felt that way about cedar closets because it is, it's got an, an anti or an insecticide sort of built into it. Yeah. So I kind of refuse to put it in my home. And I know it's cedar. Some people say, oh, I love a cedar closet. I have it. You know, I have multiple cedar closets. I don't like that aromatic smell that it gives to my clothes, like after mm-hmm. I put them in there. And then also I always felt like, well, if it can kill a bug, is it really good for me to have in the house exactly. on my clothes all day? So you think about it, you, know, you start going through some of the common woods and we'll do this before we go out to break, you know, like hard rock maple, very common with cabinetry, doing furniture. Mm-hmm. You know, that is something that uh, just that dust breathing it in can affect lung function. So just something as simple and benign as hard rock maple is, is a little interesting, you know, alder, which is another softer wood, you know, used in cabinetry furniture. It's uh, you know, 20 years ago, it was kind of known as the cheap man's cherry. Cause you could stain it to look a lot like, you know, a, a, mm, mm-hmm. a cherry wood, but it's common. It's fairly dangerous to work with as a tree cutting it down. You have to be careful with it, but Dermatitis, rhinitis, bronchial problems, all from alder sawdust, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. And then when you start getting into these things, you know, and again, some of these things you don't use a lot of, but again, yellow birch, dermatitis, respiratory problems, you know, and again, that's a big one there. Now, boxwood, which is another one, that's a sensitizer. So you get dermatitis, irritant to eyes, nose, and throat. Remember our friend, Nikki Kruger. At Thermostore and Santa Fe Products, 50% of the air in your upstairs is from your basement. So when you're doing stuff down there, folks, you have to remember that it's getting upstairs. 50% of that air is coming up and you're breathing it. Exactly. So that's another (laughs) one of those. Now, here's some of the more exotic woods you got to be careful with. And let's go out to break here first. Got to run out and pay the bills here. We come back. I want to talk about some of the more toxic stuff. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. You. Man, you have oh, been fighting. You. You've been oh. fighting allergies for a month or two now. What's going on? I don't know. I think I've got mold. You've got mold in my building. Well, you guys had all the flooding and stuff. I'm not surprised. You should go to examinear.com and see what you've got in that air. So that way you might be able to deal with it because you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I need to figure it out. You're right. Examinear.com. I'll go there. Go to examinear.com. Hey, I'm Rudy Wade, and you're listening to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B. Listen to my music to improve your home. You got me thinking about the day we moved Welcome back to the Around the House show, where we talk home improvement every single weekend. Thanks for joining us. Well, during the commercial break, I decided to go out and take a COVID test <laughs> since I had people I was at my concert with a few weeks ago here. All of a sudden, people are coming down with it. Uh oh, and you do but have I'm looking a negative today. Yeah, and you do have a sore throat. Feel a little congested. Yeah, yeah. So we'll know so, by the end of the show. Does Eric have COVID? Well, no. So far, so good, right? I don't think you've got it. <laughs> I think he's just got a I cold. I don't think so either. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. And we're not going to get into the whole COVID debate. But when you got friends and family that have it that you were hanging out with mm. a few days ago, 
worth taking a look at. Mm. Worth taking a look at. Well, we've been talking about toxic woods and, you know, I love woodworking, but you got to be a little careful with this, right? Mm. And you and I dove into this off air like last week and we're like, this is such a great subject. Because nobody thinks about it. They just, you know, you don't think when you're cutting a two by four or you're cutting down a tree or you're cutting anything that you could be exposed to something that's potentially toxic. And chances are yeah. a one-time instance is not going to make you sick. But if you're a continue, you know, someone who works around it continuously, then yes, you got to worry and take proper PPE. Yeah. So like, like great example, Cocobolo, which is another exotic wood. It's beautiful. Love it. That sawdust and the wood. So not just the sawdust, but even touching the wood and working with it. He has a sensitizer, irritant to skin, nose and throat. You can get uh, conjunctivitis, mm. nausea, bronchial asthma, wheezing, chest tightness, and headache. Wow. And that's from the dust and contact with the wood. Interesting. Ebony. You think about ebony, mm. you know, used dark wood. Beautiful. You know, you can use it in guitars and musical instruments and, you know, all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's so true. Manufacturing. Yeah, products. irritant, dermatitis, conjunctivitis, sneezing, possible skin sensitizer. So again, you know, these are things that you've got to be really careful with when you're out there working. Now, one of my favorite ones that I use a lot in woodworking is uh, sapili, which is a type of mahogany. So a lot of times you'll see in cabinetry that mahogany with the wave in it that's got a really cool look. I use that sapili mahogany all the time. In projects, uh, love it in kitchen cabinets, skin irritation, sneezing, you know, hmm. and it's crazy how much of these things when you're doing it, um, you know, ash decrease in lung function, hmm. you know, and that's a common wood. So I'm wondering too, like if you have a sensitivity to any of these woods and you put cabinetry in your house, could it cause an issue? Like we know woods have formaldehyde in them all the time, which can contribute. That's a naturally occurring thing. Like- if you yeah. have a wood allergy to pine, would you be sneezing? Probably not. Just because, you know, you, when you, when a finished cabinetry is really sealed on all sides. Mm. So it's got a layer of finish over it. So there's not much to that where you would still see that. Now, if you're in there cutting moldings and stuff, yeah, absolutely. You could during construction, but after it's done, it's pretty sealed off. If it was finished correctly, there's not part of that wood that's really exposed and you'd have to be really, really sensitive and you're not really touching the cabinetry that much anyway. And the places you are, there's multiple layers of finish. We're talking um, in the midweek special. So if you are listening on the radio or the podcast, my mom had an instance where she put in new flooring and they got. Oh, you just, you just outed her by the way, Caroline, because oh, we said we didn't right. say who it was. <laughs> uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Wah, wah, Let's wah. do this. <laughs> oh, she's going to get me. <laughs> she's going to get me. <laughs> but she did have an instance. They were cutting all of the wood in her home and she got wood dust everywhere. And she woke up the next day, like short of breath. And, you mm -hmm. know, and with a big mess on her hands. So this can easily happen when contractors come in to do work. You can end up with a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another wood that I love working with, Wenge. It is very dangerous. Splinters go septic. Oh, yeah. This is Irritation the one. of eyes, 
skin and respiratory system, dermatitis, giddiness, drowsiness, visual problems, stomach cramps, and sensitizer. And that's with the dust and the wood. You got me at go septic in splinters go septic. And there was something about Doug fur. Wasn't Doug fur one of the ones that had, my God, I'm afraid of wood. Here's one that I, here's one that I knew that I don't, it's a, it's a very exotic wood, but a burra. And again, not one, not a common wood that you mm-hmm. go get at the home center. That one from dust and splinters causes vomiting, nausea, giddiest eye irritation, and the short splinters are nearly impossible to remove. Oh my God. See? So dangerous, right? Very dangerous. Scary. And again, you know, it's depending on what, you know, how you're, how you are with this stuff. You could probably, there will be people right now that are listening to the show that are going, I've done this for 30 years and I've not had, had a problem. An issue. Of course. There's always that. And, and you're a hundred percent right. I know guys that worked in wood shops for, 40 years that had not a single issue with this. But. And then somebody that works in there for seven could have major health issues. Well, at any. So this is not an exact science. At any given time, too, you can get a piece of wood in your eye. I mean, I've ha- it's happened to me so many times, like a little splinter or just, you know, d- debris from the wood and your eye turns all nasty and you get conjunctivitis. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with Purple Heart before. Um, that can make you feel not great. Uh, that's nas- nasal irritation, nausea. I've had that happen to me. Uh, spruce, another one, respiratory problems, irritation in nose and throat. Pine, irritant, decrease in lung function, allergic bronchial asthma, rhinitis, and dermatitis. What's with the Doug fur? Because that's my thing. I'm always right, using well, Doug we'll fur. We'll get to that. We'll <laughs> get to that. We're working down the list. We're not going to cut in, cut in line here. Uh- so American cherry, common, wheezing, giddiness. That explains all the craziness that happened out in the wood shop at times. <laughs> you know, you giddiness. Think about it. That's like <sighs> Yeah. Might, might explain our show sometimes. <laughs> and then <laughs> here we go, Caroline. Doug fur. <gasps> See? Dermatitis. Nasal cancer. Think about that. Mm, I use a lot of Doug fur. How's your COVID test coming over there? Let's see. Negative. <laughs> of course. You got a cold. I got a cold. <laughs> I'm glad. I'll about, be fine. I'm glad about that. <laughs> Doug first. Splinters go septic. Oh, that's the one. Guys, don't get splinters. So how do I protect myself? What do I need? I need PPE. I need gloves. You know, Carolyn, that's a really good question because safety precautions are big when you're working with wood, you know, and again, that traditional basement woodworking is not the best place in the house due to, like we talked about earlier, everything going up inside the house, mm-hmm. but the best rules are working in a well-ventilated, well-ventilated area with adequate dust extraction system. Mm-hmm. So the rules on that are, are pretty easy, mm-hmm. but always check to see what OSHA in your area says is the safest way. There are actually codes for that. So you can follow that. There you go, guys. So be careful. All right. We come back. Let's run out to break here, Carolyn. We come back. Let's get into the debate of load bearing walls. Can you open that space up or not? Sound good? Yeah. I'm both of these topics. I'm learning something. I like it. All right. We'll do that just as soon as around the house returns. 
Hey guys, you're listening to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. I'm Zeke Sky, and I'm going to show you how to shred it out while you're building it up. Welcome back to the Around the House show, where we talk home improvement every single week. Hey, if you want to get a hold of us, a lot of different ways you can do that. Head over to the website, aroundthehouseonline.com. You can contact us there. We're on social media. We're just about everywhere out there. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn. We have our own closed group on Facebook, which is around the house nation. That is where we have a closed group there. So make sure you join up to that. So, Carolyn, we're going to dive into a deep subject that is always a hot one. Load bearing walls. And it's always confusing because I like am the type of person that loves to take walls out. I'm like, I'll just take it out. I want open space, which can be. A- How many times do you see that on HGTV? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like it's it's like the beginning of every demo day show, right? Mm-hmm. They're in there with the sledgehammer and the sawzall and they're <laughs> pushing the wall down and they've got the glasses and the boots and. Half of these people, you can tell they don't even know how to use power tools they have in their hands, but that's just what it is. Here's the problem, though. That wall could easily be holding up the upper floor or the ceiling of that house, and that could be a huge issue. And so a lot of the criteria that I look at online, so we were looking at like what they tell you online, don't go buy it because it's absolutely false. Like they were saying, if it runs yeah. parallel to your choice, it's okay. No, it's not. I, I've seen it where that is not true. Yeah. And here's, here's what it is. So you think of load is load is where you have a point that is carrying weight from the top all the way down to the foundation. But the problem is, is that you can have beams that span below that carry the load that move that over to the side. So you can have it where it goes over, goes down, goes over, goes down. So you really have to have a full understanding. And the only real way to know if it is truly load bearing is to get the structural engineer involved and have them take a look at it and say, no load. But here's the technical part of it. There's always a little load. Almost always, there's a little bit of load there. Interesting. So here's one of the rules that I have. And and again, I've been doing this for years. And, you know, that's the common thing is, okay, if the the joists, you know, above or the ceiling above runs parallel, maybe. But what can happen is, is that floor joist or anything else up there could have a, a, a wall that's above that. If you're on a first floor and maybe you've got bedrooms upstairs, right? And you're going to blow out that wall between the dining room and the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You're going to open it up. We're going to have a great room right here. This is going to be amazing. Problem is, is you could have a beam upstairs that comes over and lands on that floor joist, right? Of course. And that wall is carrying that down to the basement. So, oh, it's running perpendicular. Yeah, it's no problem. You might have to put a, you might have to sister up that floor joist that's above it and make it thicker like a beam to carry the load and move it out to the outside walls. And that's where you need that engineer to specify if you can just put up another few two by tens or whatever you have to do up there to carry that load. I like to take walls out. Yeah, no, I've taken out the wall between my dining room and living room. I've taken out the wall Mm -hmm. in the basement, which was sort of like a utility room that went into a like not a utility room but a room that was sort of attached to the utility room that went into the living area space so i made it all bigger there 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of complicated and you're relying on the contractor. You're hoping your contractor knows what they're doing. Cause that's what I did. Cause I wasn't really sure it wasn't, yeah, you know, clear cut. So here's what I do usually when I walk into a house, for instance, and this is, this is some good information. I'll walk in as a designer there. Oh, we're going to blow this out and do this. It's like, all right, well, let's explore this real quick. So what I typically do is say, Hey, is there a basement down below? And if they say yes, great. I go down below and see, is there a wall or a post underneath where that wall is? So I figure out where the wall is upstairs. Mm -hmm. I go down below and figure out where that is. And if it's an unfinished basement, it's so easy because you can see if there's anything that's carrying that load. If it's just normal floor joists and there's not a beam or a post there, that's a good sign. Hmm. You know, okay, there's nothing that's carrying that down to the foundation down here that's out of the ordinary. So that's a good sign. And then you have to go up and kind of look in the space above it, whether it's the floor above or if there's an attic space. You know, many times if you have an older home, that's like pre-trusses, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the trusses with the stamped metal plates on them, that's the ceiling system up there for the roof. If you've got that, you're pretty good. Many times that's designed to span the space up above it. Where it gets more interesting is when they framed it, stick framed it like they did in the 40s or the 30s, or the 20s or before that. Because sometimes there'll be like one brace that comes down and lands right over the top of that. Now you've got, uh, you know, hundreds of pounds of load versus thousands of pounds of load. I had to brace um, a support beam in the attic, which was really interesting. One day my contractor went up there and I can't remember what we were doing, you know, what we were looking for. And he's like, wow, he's like, your support beams actually got a crack in it. And I'm like, oh my God, oh, yeah. that was in this. And so he had to, they had to brace that. So that's a good thing to look for too. Like if you're ever up in your attic or places where you can see this type of structure basement too, you know, you should always check out for this kind of stuff because it can happen over time, storms, you know, distribution. Yeah, let's, wind. let's dive off on that for a second. Cause one of the biggest problems you see out there with load like that is those posts in the basement. So you think about the post that goes up, you know, your typical basement, old basement floor. So you got a wood post. It's maybe a four by four or six by six. that's holding things up. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that post many times is just sitting there with the end grained on the floor. That's taking moisture and the moisture is mm-hmm. doing what a tree does, right? Mm. It's sucking that up capillary action right up the top. So as the years go by, you don't see it. That post gets weaker, 30 seconds shorter, 30 seconds <laughs> shorter and weaker, 30 seconds shorter. And all of a sudden it's getting shorter, which means you've got now a dip in the floor. Mm-hmm. So that's the key right there is to make sure that that post isn't sitting down there with some kind of a, a vapor barrier piece underneath it. It could be a piece of tar shingle. It could be, you know, a piece of tar paper, something to keep moisture from wicking up in the bottom of that post. Or go steal. Now, when you go into a basement and you see all of those, you know, usually I see them here on the Northeast, but a lot of those metal or steel poles, right, that run mm-hmm. through a basement, that's all your support for the first floor? Yeah. So, great example. I think I've talked about this on the radio before. We had a house that I was in, and they had a sump pump that was pumping that trough drain system around the outside. Mm-hmm. And it was faulty. They designed this poorly and it was taking the soil out from underneath the foundation. So if that house would have sank because there was a void underneath the foundation walls, it would have, the walls would have moved down about a foot 
but the post in the middle wouldn't have moved. So all of a sudden it would have pushed the floor up in the middle oh. a foot. So it would have just like been a backbreaker, right? Just whoosh. it would have shoved the middle of the house. It had been like jacking the middle of the house up by a foot. It would have been like a pyramid shape. Everything on the yeah, sides would come would down. Have just shoved everything up, destroyed the house. Hmm. So that's very key in that. And that's why, you know, when you're talking about posts in a basement, one, you want to have them so they're not getting shorter. You want to make sure if they are, it's not a bad DIY project to replace those. And we can talk about that. But those structural posts are key. And the nice thing is, is you want to make sure they're fastened down to the concrete footing correctly. Because if you have an earthquake or something happen, Mm -hmm. you don't want those things to kick out. You want them to stay exactly where they are. And that's one of the things when you pay to have an earthquake retrofit done in these old homes, they will brace those down to the floor below. They'll screw into the concrete, fasten there, and then they will fasten all those floor joists, beams, and posts with metal brackets together so you have one solid system so it doesn't, you know, get moved off the foundation. It's interesting because I think in my attic, going back to this reinforcing of the of the support beam, um, that probably happened from a storm or wind shear or something that we had mm-hmm. during, I would suspect, one of the big hurricanes that we had. So these yeah. these things do all kinds of stuff, whether it's an earthquake or any kind of, you know, massive um, shear or wind or, 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 yeah. or pressure on the house. It creates, yeah. you know, these structural issues. Okay, well, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about that. And I think that's a good topic to tie into this. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hi everybody, I'm Ari Kameen from Steven Adler's band and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G and the beautiful Caroline. Welcome back to the Around the House show. We've been talking today about a number of different topics. We're talking about poisonous wood that we were woodworking with and now we're talking about making sure that that load-bearing wall, if you remove it, is, well, load-bearing or not. Right, Caroline? Right. Is it okay to take a wall out during construction? And how do you know? So give me like a clue. If I'm if I'm chopping away at that drywall and I break through the wall, is there something I should be looking for or see that's going to say, uh-oh, Karen, don't do that. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And I want to talk about this. This is another thing we'll talk about too is going to be some bracing and stuff and, and tying that down because we were talking about that before we go out to break. But one of the things that I want to make sure is, is that, yeah, that when you're tearing that out, there's a lot of rumors out there. If it's got a double top plate, like two, two by four stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. it's load bearing. No, not necessarily. Could be that they just built it that way. Doesn't have to be that they built it one way to mm-hmm. be load bearing. I mean, it's, it's a clue. These are all clues. But those are things to take a look at. But many times what you have to be careful with is if you start to see like a low, a, a hallway, like down the middle of the house, right? You got this hallway wall that goes down the middle of the house and maybe it stops for a little bit and then continues on in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Very easily. That could be two pieces of wood are resting on that. And that is that scissor point that's holding it up. 
So those middle of the span walls, you got to be very careful with. I've had soffits in the kitchen where they're built down, be structural. I've had that little pantry cabinet be structural because they had to hide a post <laughs> and it's in the side of the pantry. So they, oh, let's make a pantry out of it. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I'm just taking a closet out. How bad can it be? Well, it can be pretty bad. Hmm. So really the first thing you want to do is, is have that, you know, have your structural engineer come out and take a look at it. I don't even trust a lot of contractors on it. I will really want, if you're taking out a, a wall that could be structural, I want that absolute, nope, you're good. Take it out. And also windows. Like I like to expand windows all the time and make them bigger. And Eric really made me aware of the fact that, you know, you've got to be careful when you're doing that because it's going to change the shear on the home. It does all types of things. So that guess who I've got in my phone now? Structural engineer. He's yeah. on my speed dial. Cause we got people are going, what's shear? Well, think about it racking, you know, like when you, you build a building up or a shed and it's kind of moving sideways where it's kind of coming out of square leaning that's what shear mm -hmm. is and so that's what those sheets do so the more windows the more shear so sometimes you have to put steel in there Support i've had to do steel walls see so you here's can't just take stuff out no you got to have professionals to make sure you can do it no and i want to talk about this here too because this is something that's very you know while you're doing these projects i want you to be putting in the right anchors and brackets that would be normally used in code today. Like Carolina in your neck of the woods, I would start as I'm remodeling, I would start putting in some of the hurricane tie downs that you see maybe down oh, in Florida, the Carolinas, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be speaking of Florida, I'm going to be down for the Southeastern building conference MCing down there, August 3rd and 4th in uh, Kissimmee, Florida at the Gaylord convention center. So come down and say, hi, the reason why I'm mentioning that is I'm going to be talking down there doing a presentation with QuickTie. Mm. These are guys that build those straps and cables that hold walls and stuff down during hurricanes. So they actually have a cable that you can string all the way up that wall from the foundation that goes in and ties that top plate down and the cable goes down and attaches to the foundation that holds the it's basically a tension tie that holds the top of the roof down onto the foundation. Amazing. So that's where those, you know, those. It's like giant tie downs for your house. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's trippy. Yeah. So I it goes like through, it bolts up, it grabs the side of the truss in your roof. You drill a hole and that quick tie goes all the way down and ties in down below. So it makes it so you've got something that's going to be really strong. It's not just that little hurricane clip that you have. You've actually got a cable that's holding the whole thing down and you're not pulling that apart. So it's really a key to providing that structure. When would you install that? Like if you're putting in windows, taking out a window, like a big project or how you is know, that going? I would do it if I have an exterior wall opened up. Mm -hmm. You know, if I've got the wall opened up and it's going down to the basement or, or a crawl space, if that wall was opened up with the drywall's out, it wouldn't be a bad idea to put some of those in. How many do you need? Like say on a, let's say you had a 2000 square foot house, like a rectangle platform. Let's just you know, say. It, that's hard. It, you really have to engineer that in there and code's going to tell you that too, like in Florida, but I would at least want to have it around doors and window openings and in the corners, you know, each corner tying that corners down and then in the middle around doors and openings. Interesting. 
that way you've got it. And man, you do that and you're pretty good. You know, that's really going to hold stuff down. And again, that's going to help too in, a, in an earthquake because how many times do I see with tornadoes, right? That house gets, you see the house, but it's off the foundation. Mm. So many homes were built back in the day before 1960s code in most places didn't require you to have any faster to hold the wood. It was just sitting on the foundation. I wonder if my house is like that. It's 1960. It's probably sitting on the foundation. Toss a coin. You have a place where you can see up there. It's unfinished in the ceiling. You can see the floor dress. Mm, I don't know. I'd have to take a look. Laundry room, utility room. That's unfinished ceiling. No, but I mean, I've, I've been up there. I don't think I've ever looked for that particular thing in the basement. Take a look up in there. Cause there'll be a, you can put your hand up on the flat wood, which is a sill plate and you'll feel a bolt. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to, you know where I can look. I have a um, crawl space under the stairs where you can kind of go through oh, and yeah. you can see up onto the sill plate and all that. I'll look. Yeah, I'm just looking be, for, a, I've never seen it though. Would I notice it? You won't it? notice it probably, but you you know, put a glove on because there could be spiders and crap up there, but you know, just reach up there and feel if there's a bolt. If there's not, then yeah, then that, that's just the weight of the house holding it down to the foundation. Uh-uh. I'm going to check it out. I'll let you guys know next week. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. that's an easy fix though. You can go through. Now this requires drywall patching. You can go through <laughs> and put those hurricane straps, which you bolt into the concrete, into the top of the wood, and you can strap the whole house down that way. Hmm. So, you know, you see that with, with, with tornadoes, especially, you know, in the Midwest, you'll see houses just completely, they look like they just got picked up and put in the middle of the road. And, you know, a friend of mine just told me today, uh, I was texting with him this morning. They just mm-hmm. had a tornado and got substantial damage in Maryland. You know, these things are happening all over. You know, we used to think like, oh, you're in Tornado Alley or you're in Texas or Oklahoma or Tennessee. You're going to get these really bad tornadoes, but pretty much you're open to this happening anywhere. So it sounds like just good safety. Yeah. I mean, it just building. happens. It just happens. I mean, you take one of these, one of these older homes and they've literally just been lifted up and moved. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, it just wasn't attached to the foundation anymore. So these are things you want to be careful with. I mean, I'll show you a picture right here. That's just a, a great example of that, you know, where the wind came through and literally blew it right off the foundation. And that's only because. Oh, look at that. I had it. Sorry. I had yeah. to look at his picture closer. Yeah. It looks like it, it almost looks like you have a garden in front of the house because the house has been moved off the foundation. Yeah. So I had to look and this whole, the whole house is in the back of the foundation, yeah. but it looks like it's like a Decker porch now. Yeah. It that's looks like crazy. a Decker porch, but that's the crawl space. Oh man. So those are serious things, you know, serious things to consider when you're working on the house. And, and these are things that I want you to think about while you're taking out walls and doing this stuff, make sure that you've got, you know, add those right footings down below. If you're moving stuff, you know, that's part of the process too, is when you get that structural engineer involved and I just kind of want to wrap it around this really nicely. Many times when you have to put a beam in, they're going to say, okay, you're going to put a beam. You got it. But then all of a sudden down the basement, you might have to dig up where that post is now and put in a a four foot by four foot footing down there to carry the new weight up above. So you might have to do some work in the basement or a big, huge post and, and peer in the crawl space just to carry that load. So it doesn't ever move. Cause you think about many old homes that concrete on your basement floor is only 
inch or two. It could be a rat slab where it's less than an inch thick. Yeah, like this picture he just showed us. You can't see it. You should post this on around the house. But yeah, it's literally the house has just been moved backwards. And you see like it looks like almost like maybe four or five rows of brick. You know, yeah. it just looks like this really light foundation. Looks like you just went out like, like pop yeah. and just tapped it and it spun out. You know, it's like the house spun off its foundation. If you're building now, I mean, in these times, I think it would be smart just to have this as a as an extra added thing. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't seem. But hey, Caroline, I hear the music. You know what that means? It's time to go. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the House. The house. Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.